Welcome to the Driven to Succeed podcast. I'm your host, James Nelson, coming to you from Tempe, Arizona. This is the podcast where we aim to discover what drives successful business people and what they drive. With this being our first episode, just want to give you a quick breakdown of what the whole point is. Basically, I'm a big car guy and I'm really into business as well. So talking to people that are successful within the space is something I think it'd be very beneficial for everyone involved. So let's go ahead and start. This is our first episode, and the person I'm interviewing today is Stephen Damon. Welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, man? Not too much. So Steve is an interesting character. He's a very <laughs> quiet guy. <laughs> if you met him on the street, you'd be like, that dude's pretty quiet, no big deal. Um, but it's, there's, there's a lot going on behind the, uh, the facade of a serious, quiet guy. Uh, he's, done everything. <laughs> he's done everything from you know, military service to playing competitive dodgeball starting his own clothing company or athletic wear, uh, buying and selling things on Amazon, all the above. So Steve, give us a quick background on, on kind of what, what business is like for you. What business is like, or just what I'm doing right now. All the above. Um, well, first of all, I appreciate the intro. Uh, it's funny being called interesting because I, I think I'm pretty boring. I'm pretty sure you can set your watch to uh, my habits, but, uh, Kind of like you said, in a nutshell, um, I, I've attempted a lot of things and it's, it's more like just uh, throwing stuff on a wall and see what's, um, seeing what sticks. And so far what's stuck has been military service, um, this ball of stay dodgeball uh, gear and apparel company that I started last year and uh, podcasting. Um, but we could probably get into that. I don't want to just, you know, lay out everything out there, but. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So. Steve's actually the one that got me into podcasting. He has a couple of different podcasts. The one that he's most well-known for is the Dodgeball Podcast, um, where he goes and interviews people all over the country, uh, different tournaments. They do recaps. They all let him get more into that. Um, but he also started another one that he had me on a couple times. It was pretty cool. It was a military-focused one, um, The Lost LT. So definitely check that one out as well. That's kind of one that we're running as a side project. So it's not either one of ours primary focus, but, uh, it is something that we, we do put a little bit of time into here and there. Um, I guess what had you start the dodgeball podcast in the first place? So let's see if I, so I, I can be really long winded. So if I deviate from the original question, let me know, but I'll, I'll try to try to be somewhat concise. Um, I worked at a startup company and this is kind of where I got more of my entrepreneurial, um, I won't say edge, but I think I've always had that to begin with, but this really fed it when I would see what it's like to create content for our marketing company and seeing the end users consume it. So I really love that. So we worked for a company that did um, audio mnemonic uh, devices for for students that were trying to learn um, stuff like in, in medicine, uh, nursing, just, just hard to remember um, concepts, right? I'm not going to go into the whole spiel, but... Uh, we needed a really awesome sound booth uh, to, to record our our platform and our content with. And I, I just realized like, hey man, we have this like really awesome like thing that at our disposal, um, our sound guy, uh, Nick, who actually helps me edit the podcast to this day and also helps with the Lost LT. He'd been talking to me and a coworker named uh, Brett Baxter on, hey, you guys should do a dodgeball podcast because we play dodgeball for, for years together. We're always talking about it at work. And um, this kid, Nick, the sound engineer, really liked the idea of a sports podcast, but he liked the, the fact that, um, this is gonna, I don't know how this is going to sound, but like two of the main dodgeball players in the U.S. are like sitting right next to him working with him because we just had so much knowledge to draw from. So he kind of planted that seed. Um, 
for ways uh, or for for a couple of months, and then um, we ended up realizing that there were two podcasts at the time in the dodgeball community, and um, one was uh, as, as a couple dudes in their car um, called the Golden State Podcast, and it was it had a lot of traction, but it also had a lot of like a lot of f bombs, a lot of just stuff that I wasn't really happy or excited to share with my, with my, like my parents or on Facebook. Cause I don't want people to think I was, that I was like that. Cause I'm, I'm just a really weird person when it comes to, uh, you know, how I'm perceived. Um, and the other one was a very awesome long form interview with dodgeball players. But the problem with that, that I saw, not that there was any issue was that it just stayed with the LA region. So me and Brad were talking about, it. I'm like, Hey, we should probably do something like a real quick, like dodgeball one-on-one. It could be like 15, 20 minutes. We have this incredible, uh, sound system, like let's use it to our, our advantage and, and just try to kick something off. And so in a nutshell, that's kind of how the podcast, like for dodgeball ideas, like, I guess was created. Um, we received really well. We got a lot of, uh, encouragement. Um, the thing with dodgeball and I might get into this later. Um, it's so niche that if you were to start a dodgeball podcast tomorrow, like you would get a following pretty fast. Um, because it's just like no one's doing anything for it right now other than dodgeball players. So we had that that almost instant gratification. We're like, hey, we just dropped an episode. And within hours, like people are already hitting us up saying, hey, I want to be on your show next time. Or I want to be, you should cover this topic. And so once people saw that, we weren't going to be st- stuck with just the Arizona area. Um, we, we realized we had something with more of a pool than uh, what the other guys did. So we ran one season. Um took about a year off. We were on a little bit of a hiatus and I guess I kind of just decided to pick it up on my own, but, uh, focus more on the long form interviews. But, um, yeah, that's kind of, I know I said it wouldn't be long winded, but that's essentially what got me into podcasting to begin with was just, I always had the, uh, the urge to do something. And then I just looked around my surroundings and saw like, Hey, I can put these two together and then boom product. Yeah, it's really cool. And I know, I know when we did the Lost LT podcast, the whole time it was me talking. And you know I'm very long-winded as well, so I'm really glad that you are able to run with okay. that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's actually one of the questions I was going to ask you is if the startup, uh, working for a startup had a, an impact with it. And obviously it did. Oh, absolutely. Which is really neat because I've I've kind of always been that, I was that kid that had different stuff going on that I was always trying to make money or help, you know, whether it was asking to do chores or doing some stuff I got in trouble for, not anything illegal or anything like that, but I was always trying to make money as a kid. And I don't know why it was just in me from the start, but I know in your particular case, you kind of like to experiment with different things. Um, I've yeah, just, just looked around my room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're just to FYI, we're sitting in Steve's apartment right now. Ball of State headquarters right now. Yeah. Ball of State headquarters. Um, I kind of have a, a mobile setup here. Uh, so when I first got here, he'd already been cleaning up from his, uh, his shipments of product that he got in. Um, you know, working, branding, everything, all that kind of fun stuff. And it's still, it, it's a bit of a train wreck, but it's, uh, it has a method. So that's pretty cool. It is your quintessential, like he doesn't have a garage. So it, it's his garage startup just in the middle of his uh, living room. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Works for me. <laughs> um, but Steve is, is really big on trying different avenues of approach, if you will. So he's got the clothing line, which is something he just saw that there was nothing dodgeball specific. If, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, no, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so no specific dodgeball brand. Um, so he was like, hey, you know what? Let's create one. And the name behind it's actually pretty cool. I'll let you explain that in a minute. Um, but Ball Stay, I, I thought it had a completely different meaning, so I'm glad he explained it. Um, but he's got that. He's done Amazon FBA stuff. He has done, like I said, the podcast, and that is a super niche one, but he has a pretty good following. Um, I don't know the exact number, how, roughly how many people do you have? 
on the podcast? Yeah. Or, um, I don't really track it so much. Um, I could dive into analytics, but each episode usually averages about one to one fifty, maybe two hundred after a couple of weeks. But um, sort of put a number on the following, but it's it's enough to keep me going if that makes any sense. Yeah, and it's pretty cool. And his interviews <clears throat> typically are pretty long. Um, I know when we did the first interview for the Lost LT. Like, let's try to keep it around an hour. And we went like an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah, it was hard to even maintain that. Yeah, and that was tough. We really had to kind of rein it in and like, okay, well, let's move on to the next subject because this is getting long-winded. But there's a lot of information. And especially when you get into something that people are passionate about, whether that's, in in Steve's case, the dodgeball community or in my case, more so the business side. Uh, And and Steve is just at at the core a business guy as well. I said he tries a lot of different things. Um, But... The neat part about that is you can experiment, and in today's age, you can try different things and not have huge initial investments. And if you do, it's yeah, you spend a few hundred bucks on on like this, the podcast setup, for example. I I did a lot of research. Uh, I used Nick as a resource to help me, you know, with hey, what's the right mic setup for what I'm going to be doing? I'm going to be moving stuff around a lot, and I want something that's durable but it's going to sound good. And and the first couple of recordings I did just to test it out were literally in my kitchen. Um, so we're talking tile and, and wood cabinets and and a block wall on one side, just sitting there at the, at the kitchen Children table. running around chaotically. Yeah. So the background noise. The, the very first <clears throat> test, I actually had two of my my two, three-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old running around screaming. You hear mama about a million times in the background. But it's pretty neat, though, just to see the good quality you can get if you do some research with with what you can pick up nowadays. Uh, not like an old man, but... Um, so I guess... My biggest question for you is what's your why? What what really drove you to to really cuz you have a 9 to 5, right? You're you're full-time military right as am I. Um and that's how we we met each other in the first place and so our typical lunches, you know, in in Steve's case grab a salad. Uh I try not to eat out too much cuz that's one of my goals right now is to save as much money as possible to put towards a couple of different things I have going on, but um, we'll sit there and talk and usually he's playing, was it Clash of Clans? Clash of Clans, man. That game has sucked me in. <laughs> and I get no reception in our, uh, lunchroom. So it's usually just me talking at Steve quite a bit and him chiming in every once in a while. But I think he's used to it at this point. I mean, I'm listening. I just, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's good to see, um, it's good to see how far you've come already. Um, go back to your question about the why, uh, I saw that in the, on the notes here and I was like, oh crap, it's one of those questions where I'm going to think about it all night. So I'm glad I looked at it now. Um, essentially, I want to make money. I, for me, money equals freedom to do the things that you want to do. Um, if, you, uh, if you were to delve into my psyche a little bit, you'd, you'd understand that I'm not about the uh, nine to five from the age of 24 to, to 80 life anymore. Um, that's one thing I feel like we just as a society aren't really equipped for. And I think the the smarter guys get out uh, by pursuing their own passions and um, probably trying to get on a soapbox with there. So that that's part of it. The other part is I just love seeing um, whatever the process is of, of creating something from absolutely nothing and seeing it take some kind of tangible form and seeing other people like run with it. That th- th- I think that's probably the deeper why, to be honest, um, I was showing you some of the, um, the new campaign marketing photos that we're about to bust out with. And that was, honestly, that was an idea in the back of my head. Like, hey, it would be really cool if we can see some of these dodgeball players get the Nike slash Under Armour treatment just to see what it would look like. And um, within minutes of that stuff dropping, um, I saw a lot of engagement from the actual people that were you know, in, in those photos. And a week ago, that was non-existent. 
Um, same thing with like the Ball State brand. Um, yeah, my living room is full of uh, stuff right now. It looks like China and the army threw up in it, but this is stuff that people wear now. This is stuff that people are starting to identify um, a little bit with, and that's that's awesome. So whatever that is, like that would be the other part of my why. So first part, make money, be free, live the life I want to. And the other part is just uh, creating stuff that people get excited about and uh, eventually become passionate about. So that's, uh, that's pretty much it in a nutshell, what the why is. Yeah, and the advertising he's talking about is actually really cool. Um, they did some some high quality work with uh, editing pictures and whatnot. It, it legitimately looks like professional, you know, magazine type of uh, if you opened up Sports Illustrated. Yeah, yeah, and it's, and, it's, and, and not to be uh, discouraging by any means. Dodgeball is not typical, but I think we're like, oh, badass athletes, you know, whatever. But these guys are crazy. How much time? And I do not want to get hit in the face by an 80 mile an hour dodgeball, which he says is, I some, don't anymore. Some, either. <laughs> some people do it. I'm like, that seems terrifying actually. Now that I think about it and they're relatively close range as well. So it's even more crazy, but a lot of these people are super dedicated athletes. So it's not just like, you know, fifth graders playing dodgeball at PE or, you know, break time, or whatever. Yeah. The, <clears throat> the, the evolution of the sport in itself is also part of the why too. It's just like, my God, this game just keeps developing and these uh, players go from your, you know, your, your beer bellied softball, uh, flunkies to people that are legitimately training with a personal trainer to get better. And they're getting younger. And, um, I made the joke earlier about like, Oh, like, it's funny when you listen to like an NFL, uh, commentator say, Oh, so-and-so is like Adrian Peterson's like 35 years old. He's a, he's a nothing but a modern, like a modern medical miracle to be playing dodgeball or football at that age. Cause the, the age right now is like 21 to 24. Well, that's starting to happen with dodgeball. Like, yeah, we've got some old timers like myself that are still playing, but, um, as these kids are coming in, as they're getting more just insanely good, um, you're going to start seeing more of that. You're going to start seeing less dodgeball, the movie type of quote unquote athletes <laughs> and more like, uh, these guys are like, they're coming from D- division one, division two schools. So it, it's, it's exciting, but it's terrifying to share the court with them sometimes. But it's, uh, it's the evolution that's also pretty motivating to see that because it's again right now, dodgeball is like a it's like an open, almost like an open field. But it's really easy to produce content right now that people are going to consume and get that instant gratification right away. So tangent there, but yeah, no, it's really cool too because you've been doing the podcast for quite a while now. So you are one of the well-established pe- uh, you know people in the in the field, if you will. Um, so you'd mentioned before, and we've talked about this in the past where. Now your content content that you put out on the socials on social media um, are actually getting a lot of a lot of responses and a lot of people that are you know, big in the sport throwing your name out there. And I'll let you talk about your ESPN uh, moment that you had was a week or two ago. It's pretty cool. I thought it was cool. Anyway. Oh, it was madness. Um, <clears throat> so I don't know why. I guess like the right before football is about to kick off, at least for the second year now, ESPN has decided to do like ESPN the Ocho just to kind of. <laughs> showcase some of the more obscure sports out there. And, um, they had like this one event where it was like extreme juggling, but like you took two of the probably best players right now in the world. Uh, one of them is absolutely by far the best player in the world. Um, actually I, don't, I, I might piss some people off to date the U S um, another kid that just made, so these are both people from team USA, right? They're, they're good. I am just stumbling over words on how to rank them, but they're phenomenal players. This kid took it upon himself, uh, Dylan Odin, to wear a Ball State t-shirt last year because I, I don't know if he knew that they were going to film this or not, but um, 
he's like, Hey, I'm going to, you know, I, I, I believe, I believe in this brand. I'm going to wear this t-shirt and, um, I'm sure it'd be televised. So last week I'm watching, he's, he, I'm checking out his uh, Instagram story where he's like, Hey, do you check out my Instagram story? And I check it out and I see the ESPN piece where they're playing dodgeball against these jugglers. And I just see ball stay across his chest. And I'm like, man, that is legit. Like, I don't care if this is at three o'clock in the morning. I don't care if like 50 people <laughs> saw this shit. This is awesome. Am I allowed to cuss in this? Ah, uh, well, you just did. Sorry. So we'll figure it out. <clears throat> you said, yeah, it, it is really neat though to, I'm sure just to see on, on a nationally televised, you know, event or interview, whatever yeah. it, it was an interview, right? No, it was a legitimate event. Like, um, okay. they, they were, so ESPN was running like, I don't know, extreme chainsaw thing at one hour. And then, <laughs> Just, just like all the weird stuff people do, like axe throwing. And um, I, I know a lot of it's part of the novelty, tapping into like the hilarity of the movie. Because well, there's probably like eight ESPN channels now in, in 2019 versus back in 2004. But still, like there's people out there that will look at his shirt and think nothing of it. Hey, that's just another sports company out there. But to me, that's like, and that was nothing two years ago. Like this, this was all just a like an idea two years ago. So just seeing that kind of, um, I guess that concept going to fruition like that was, was pretty, pretty motivating to, to continue. And, um, yeah, it just goes back to that. Why it's like, man, somebody wore my thing on a, on a TV show. That's crazy. Who'd have thought? Yeah. And it's super neat. Um, so I mentioned before I'm a car guy. Um, if you go on Google and type in black and red 64 Chevy Nova, uh, a car that I built when I had my shop is one of the first results. It's like the, literally the second one that comes up on Google images. And nice. that's, it, that's just an advertisement because I ended up selling that car uh, after I shut down my business, after I finished it up. And it was a car that I poured my heart and soul to. Um, it's just, it's an advertisement. It's not even like on any nationally televised anything, whatever. It's just, it's just an ad. It, it's a Google image, right? But even then I'm like, oh yeah, anytime I mentioned it, because I, I had a bunch of pictures of that restoration progress, something I documented really well. And I lost it all when I had a computer dump out on me. But uh, even then I'm like, yeah, type in this super generic search term. Mine's the second one that comes up. So I can't even imagine how building a brand from scratch and then seeing it on, on a actually televised uh, uh, event would be. And, and what is the story behind the name? It's something oh, I actually, right. I was kind of embarrassed that I didn't know this when you told me, but. So it, Ballast Day is actually a uh, Ballast Day is how you're supposed to pronounce it because it's a playoff of uh, ballistics. So it's, it's multiple like trebuchets, uh, catapults, uh, basically all the stuff that, you know, back in the medieval days, people would throw at other people. So me and my buddy Joe, were trying to think of the name for the dodgeball company. We're thinking, Hey, what do you think about when you play dodgeball? You think about like that red projectile noise, you know, the ball hitting you, you think about like people just throwing all kinds of crap at you. So we can't use ballistics cause that's, that's been taken and overdone. So he, uh, he said, Hey, what about the plural form, uh, ballast day? I was like, that's cool. Ballast day, I can't read. That works. And then it just took off. So, um, but because dodgeball, just, it's just a natural inclination to say ballast day. Um, so it worked and it was funny because it, it was such a weird, like looking at it right now, like the, it's just not a regular, it's not a word that comes up often. So it, it was like fringe enough to stick, but not so complicated that people like, I, I can't even say the name. So I do get a couple people, uh, mispronouncing it, but, um, Somehow it's working. So as long as they're saying it, who really cares at this point? Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> well, actually, you're supposed to pronounce it with about no, it's it's totally fine. Um, it's definitely taking off on it in its own right. Yeah, it's super cool. And so, like I mentioned before, I've I've known Steve for coming up on six years now. We've gone through some some kind of crazy military some interesting trainings. times. <laughs> yeah, some some real fun times, character building experiences. 
Um, but uh, in this time, I have noticed one thing about him. Not only does he like to try different things, and and I think part of, at least just from what I've seen, he likes to tweak things and see what those changes make. So even if he's, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you have something going and you're like, huh, I wonder if I change this, how it will affect it. And I've, I've seen you do it a couple times, like, hey, check this out. Look what, look what the response was or whatever. Hmm. So something I picked up on just as a personality trait. It's interesting. We have, so we work together every day. So we have a really bad tendency. One, we're terrible to each other. Uh, so people hear our conversations, a couple other people work, they're like, oh my God, you guys are so mean to each other. It's, it's, friends. Just, it's like, just how it's we are with each other. But, um, but we also do pick up on certain uh, character traits about each other. That's just one I noticed. But um, so I do see him and now I'll ask him questions like, well, why'd you, why'd you do this? Or why'd you do that? Not questioning him, but just out of curiosity. Like, oh yeah, I just, I made this tweak on Amazon or I, I've had this thing up for sale for a while and it all of a sudden ping said that it sold and I completely forgot I even had it. It's kind of cool. That's um, a good problem to have. And he's a, uh, I always go to him when I want interesting apps, like, Hey, use this app to scan random stuff and see what it's selling for on Amazon and eBay. Um, but the other thing I've noticed about him is he is more interested in taking the interesting, difficult route than the easy route. And typically this involves pay as well. So he'll do the harder job for the same money because it's more interesting. Um, I've seen two specific instances of this. Huh. Not saying that the army is harder necessarily, but he went from the Air Force to the Army because he wanted to be more, you know, more of a, a grunt, if you will. Or I shouldn't say a grunt because he's not infantry, but uh, more just do the harder, you know, let's go camping. And I wanted to feel like a soldier. <laughs> do dumb stuff. Yeah. yeah. That was great choice. <laughs> and then another thing, I won't go into, into detail on it, but he had a job uh, where we work now that was stupid easy for, for his rank and whatnot. And he's like, I don't like this. I'm bored. And I feel like I'm ripping off the government by doing such easy work and in, in getting paid what I do. So he came into the area that I work in and there's some days where we're like, why, why, why in the world are we doing this job is such a pain in the butt. But he chose to do that because it was the more interesting and more fulfilling, more growth oriented side. And correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's interesting that you picked up on that. <clears throat> I just figure I'm living my life with the uh, precision of a sleepwalker sometimes, but uh, <laughs> No, you're right. Um, the decision to leave the Air Force, a lot of things pressured me into doing that. Um, I could probably go into some of the more like emotional, feels-worthy stuff, but I'll, I'll spare people from that because it's, it's really personal. But the, the main driving force is just, um, you know, thankfully this happens because I know back in the day um, it didn't, but people are always thanking me for my service. And it's, I know it's, 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 it's kind of, it comes from a good place, but I always felt like, as an airman, especially nothing against airmen that man, the, the real people that are making the sacrifices are like the soldiers and the Marines downrange. And, um, so I had like a little bit of not, not guilt, but just, I just, I felt like I had it really easy, uh, being an airman. And, um, I thought, well, I'm coming up to this point where I'm going to be 30. Um, I'm not getting any younger. So if I really want to have that challenging experience, if I really want to feel like a soldier, if I want to be comfortable, you know, actually having a rifle, or a weapon rather, um, should probably join the army. And then I also want to be an officer. So I figured, yeah, let's just take the two most challenging things right now and just put them all together into one. And, um, a lot of it is about the challenge. It's, um, I don't know, like if you're constantly challenging yourself, you're, you're, you're on a track to grow. Otherwise you're just, you're just stagnant. And like, what's the point? Like, why are you even, why, why do you get up in the day if you're not, uh, if you're just constantly living on easy street? Don't get me wrong. I'm not like this super hard charger, like uh, freaking 
David Goggins kind of guy, but I do like the occasional challenge. I do like to exercise that muscle of uh, willpower. Um, OCS really pushed me to my edge with that. But, uh, and the other part with the, with the assignment that we're currently on, just, yeah, I mean, like that job was cake. I just felt really bad working that, collecting uh, that much money from our good old taxpayers. Felt like I should probably be earning my keep. So yeah, it's all about the challenge too. That's kind of the ongoing joke now is on days where we really hate our lives. It's like, Hey, Remember that other job you had? Remember how easy that was? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah I'm dumb. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I joke about leaving the Air Force a lot, especially now that I'm surrounded by soldiers that are always like, you left the Air Force for this? Like, what, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know. Like, that was younger back then. I had, like, if you ask me if I regret it now, I don't. Um, I'm glad I did. But uh, sometimes, man, I'm just like, could be in Hawaii right now for AT instead of NTC next year. Yeah, so see that hey. happening. For more on that fun subject, uh, definitely check out the Lost LT. We go in a little more detail on that, but the nice plug. The <laughs> yeah. it works. The uh, the interesting part. So we we work in an office essentially. We're part of a command team, right? So our command and control technically. Um, but we are we take care of a lot of people. That's kind of the stressful part about our job is making sure that people are getting taken care of correctly. It's it's nothing glamorous. It's not like we're in the trenches somewhere. Um, but we do have each a couple hundred people that we look up to, you know, a few hundred people that we look out for making sure that they're getting paid and benefits and that they're able to, to go to their different trainings that they need to do and all that kind of stuff. And, and oftentimes, and, and at the same time, I should say, um, we have another set of responsibilities that we are in charge of as well on our, what we call an M day side, um, which is kind of our, our one weekend a month, two weeks a year side of the house, which is nowhere near one weekend. That's a lie. It's a a a trick. Um, but so we kind of dual hat those different things. Um, and so you get a lot going on at any given time. So not only are you trying to take care of your soul, kind of your personal soldiers, but you're also taking care of another big chunk of people that are your own soldiers in a different way. Um, so it's nice to say we're not getting shot at or anything. That's always kind of the joke on, on stressful days. Like, uh, I'm not getting shot at, I'm still getting a paycheck. Maybe this is not something to uh, tear our hair out about, but it's more of a, this motto now it's just like hey no one's gonna die here today just calm calm down yeah exactly um but that was a a long tangent i just went on there but um steve is pretty modest uh every time he mentioned the thank him for the service part uh it makes me super uncomfortable i I appreciate it it's nice but that's not my personality be like oh yeah i'm gonna shake your hand thank me for my service i'm a hero hug, hug your baby or whatever um but at the same time that's also it just kind of comes with the job and and on the flip side of that, it does, even though we're not, I've never been deployed personally. Steve has, it was on the Air Force side. Um, so I feel like kind of a, a fraud when people come thank me, but other people remind me like, well, you are away from your family a lot. You do sacrifice a lot of your time and and just do some dumb crap that you wouldn't normally have to deal with. Um, so there's stuff to go with it, but it's just still one of those kind of awkward, like, oh, thank, thanks for your support. Yeah. You know, the thing is, man, I, I don't think that's ever going to go away because, uh, my, the first time I was thanked for my service was uh, 2004 as a cadet in ROTC for the Air Force. And um, I mean, a bunch of second semester, second year cadets were eating at Arby's one time uh, before PT, or no, not for, before lead lab, because we were in our, our BDUs at the time. And these really nice old ladies came up and like, hey, gentlemen, we just wanted to say, uh, you know, thank you so much for your service. And I just remember thinking like, I've been crap. Like I was a freaking bum student like three hours ago. Like there, there's, <laughs> I'm not... Uh, I'm not even wearing like official rank. Like we have the like the little cadet ranks, the pelts. Um, so like it was just uh, 
it was just weird. Um, so it's like, well, maybe this will feel good when I'm actually in the service. So I actually go to basic training, come back, go to tech school, come back, start doing my actual job. Same thing, would get thanked for my service, uh, you know, when we're out to, to lunch or whatever. And I'm like, man, I still don't feel good. Maybe after I deploy, I'll feel like I actually earned it. Deployed, come back, and I especially felt like I did not earn it. So it was, it, it's just one of the things. I think some people, unfortunately, like, and maybe maybe, uh, maybe you're right. Maybe people do deserve to just feel that gratitude and um, appreciate it. But I think for people like you and me, we're just like, uh, nothing we can do is going to make it, like, not just feel weird. But, uh, and like I said, it, it it could be worse, man. We could be being called baby killers, and, you know, it could be like what it was in, in Nam. So I'd much rather prefer this uh, social awkwardness versus uh, the the what what it could be. So and it's funny that you mentioned that. Not to to get off on too much of a tangent here, but we actually went to pick up some pizza one day for lunch, and we were wearing uniform. It was just it was for a going away party, and we had a Vietnam veteran walk up to me and and, and two other people that were there waiting for the pizzas because it was like twelve pieces or something like that. So a couple of us went in, um, and first thing out of his mouth was my friends came back in a body bag, and it was one of those like. I have no idea how to what respond to, to that. Right now. Like, yeah. what, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know. He's like, well, in, in my day, this, that, and the other. And it was like, he just kind of sat there and it, with the good comes the bad as well. So it was like, I'm just going to sit here and awkwardly stare back and thank you for your service, even though you're probably not going to respond well to that. Um, but it, not, like I said, not to get too far off, but I guess the, the real question here, the kind of leading question is, do you think your military services helped you out on the business side, kind of with the, the multitasking and the, uh, the resiliency side and things of that nature? Uh, it must have. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, again, looking around my living room, I don't see like military equals ballast day, but uh, kind of like we said <laughs> with, the, with the resiliency, with, uh, hey, just shut up and get it done. Because there was, there's a lot of times where I just, I don't want to do crap. I want to, you know, bust out with that little VR system and, play video games and drink beer until, you know, ungodly hours of the night. But then I understand that people are now relying on me to do things, especially those that are helping me out and are, you know, looking forward to seeing these products and purchasing them. So it's, um, you just have to have like that internal voice that just says, Hey, you've got to do these five things today. And then we could talk about, you know, relaxing, which it's not going to happen at this point. Lied myself. But uh, as far as that, the discipline for sure, uh, the motivation, but I think the one thing that the military has helped me out the most has been stress management and realizing that there's nothing you can do sort of getting shot at that's worth freaking out about. So I can look at my list of things that I got to do before Tuesday and I can freak out about it, or I can just take it down one thing at a time, which is another thing that OCS taught us is how to prioritize and potentially even delegate to, to other individuals and just understanding that, yeah, you may not get 10 things out of the 10 item list done, you might get seven, but man, that's seven more than most people will do. And that's going to, you know, get you far. So, um, in, in a weird way, when, when I think long enough about it, yeah, the military has definitely helped out with, uh, with the business aspect, because again, it's, there's nobody telling me to do these things. Like it's all internal and I got to find that discipline and motivation and drive on my own. So. Yeah, in the you mentioned staying up to ungodly hours, playing video games, and drinking beer. I know you still do that, so don't don't try to lie to me on that part. No, but, I absolutely do. <laughs> but also the uh, working on limited sleep and, uh, and not necessarily in ideal situations. Uh, yeah, that's actually a good point. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think? Uh, do you think you're going to stay in? I think we've talked about this briefly a couple times before. Do you think you're going to stay in, or do you think you're going to, uh, you know, really? push forward on the business side and, and make that your full-time gig, if you will. So I was just talking about this with uh, 
one of the sergeants in my company about like his plan. He's he's a he's an entrepreneur. He's a he's a roofer, and he's talking about like how um, he's kind of he wants to change from roofing to actually full time active duty and join the mission that we're on because of the all the unknowns and all the things that can go wrong with running your own business can do. And I'm kind of, you know, telling about like, kind of like, we're just kind of feeding off each other. Um, telling about like what my life plan was. Um, I joke about how after 2022, once I make captain, I'm, I'm done. I'm out. I'm going to do all the drugs in the world. I'm going to grow my hair out. I just go full <laughs> hippie. Part of me really wants to do that, but um, it's, it's hard, man. Uh, because when I'm with my company, when, when I'm doing the XO thing, when I'm seeing my soldiers train, when I'm out there in those uh, field training exercises and just surrounded by, I'm like, I, I could see myself doing this until I'm, I'm too old. But then when I'm not in there, I'm like, I cannot wait to move on with my life and do other stuff. So it really depends. Um, I feel like I owe the army a deployment. I would like to take command one time, just see what it's like. And I guess we'll see after that. Right now, my track looks like I can do those things by 2022. If I am making a crap load of money, see ya. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Fair enough. Maybe I, again, that's who knows. Yeah, no, I, I, I've thought about it many times myself. Um, you know, what, yeah, if I won the lottery tomorrow, would I stay in the military? And part of me is like, one, I have a commitment. So yes, I'd be forced to, yeah, <laughs> I, I could resign my commission, but it wouldn't make any sense. Um, but at the end of the day, even in just doing that, the part-time deal, um, it, it still holds a, not to sound cheesy, but it still kind of holds a, a spot in my heart. And even when I first came on the mission that we're on right now, um, I wasn't really doing anything entrepreneurship because I kind of go through ebbs and flows. I had a business. I lost that business. And for years, I was gun shy. I didn't want to, to go back and, and start my own business again. Um, the closest I got was essentially selling off assets from the business that I lost uh, you know, through eBay and Craigslist and that kind of stuff. That was the extent of my business dealings, if you will. Uh, and took a, a break from cars too, which if you saw the amount of crazy stuff that I have now. Um, you'd be hard pressed. Like Steve's looking at me right now. Like they're like 19 cars, <laughs> 10, 10 cars. All right. Yeah. Um, but for a while I didn't own a classic car. I had my daily driver truck that I had every day. Um, and that was it. And my, you know, then girlfriend, now wife, uh, had a car that she drove every day and that was it. Um, and then, you know, fast forward a few years and we have several project cars and, uh, a 2020 Corvette on order, which I'm really excited about. Oh, you still, actually ordered that thing or I did. Yeah. I'm oh, still boy. trying to figure out how I'm going to pay for it, but that's a different story. Um, that's, that's where we're getting rid of some of the other projects that comes into play, but it's probably joking to say, just sell four of your cars and you're still good. You have <laughs> more cars than most people, you know? Um, but yeah, it, it's one of those things where that, like you said that there's definitely a lot of, um, I don't want to say gratitude, but a lot of, I don't know, feels if you will, it comes from seeing your soldiers progress in their career and accomplish different things. Like we just came back from a training exercise where uh, we were the most functional that I've ever seen in my company. And, and I went from being uh, part of that company to now commanding that company in a couple months here. Um, so that was even, even more impactful. I think at that point, seeing people that had like, Oh, here's just a junior enlisted person, or I hate the term lower enlisted. I don't know why it bothers me, but it's a super common term. It's the junior enlisted juniors better. Not great, but it's better. <laughs> um, that progressed from here's this new guy that doesn't know what he's doing to here's someone that you know is going to be a sergeant relatively soon, um, and it's just a really neat feeling seeing them grow and accomplish different things. And 
I, I'm usually the guy that it's not my actual role, but I'll talk to everyone who's leaving the company or is coming up to that time when they're leaving and saying, Hey, what do you really want? Uh, I'm not here to try to, you know, be the retention guy, keep you on board. If you're done with your time of service, thank you. Have a good one. I really hope you do good things. If you want to stay on awesome, glad to have you. If you want to stay in the military, but go a different direction, then I'll give you as much support as I can. Um, so it'd be weird leaving that right now, but in a couple more years when we're done with our initial obligation, who knows? And especially if business blows up and like I said, I, I have some side stuff I'm working on. Steve obviously has stuff he's working on. Um, it's, it, it all depends. And I keep stealing questions right back from me. I apologize. That's a bad habit of mine, but, um, good. You I remind guess, me of something. Oh, go ahead. No, go, go for it. No, I was going to say, so one of the reasons why, so I've got, I'm working on, year 11 of, of service. Um, one of the reasons why I'm looking at the captain rank as my way out is like the higher you get in the officer structure, like the more you tend to worry about policies and you start pretty much becoming the thing we hate right now as, as junior officers. Like right now we have that luxury of being close to our soldiers. And from the enlisted perspective, um, you had your click of like three or four guys in your squad or your, your team. And, um, that camaraderie was like, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to find something like that elsewhere unless you're like in a sports team, like a, like a competing sports team or, um, I don't know, like a really close church group or something, but, uh, it's hard to find that. What I noticed as an officer is you have less of that because we're not supposed to, you know, fraternize, we're not supposed to be buddy, buddy with, uh, with our guys. So I remember feeling really isolated at first when I came to my company, I was like, man, everybody, everybody's like afraid of me or something. Like, it's so weird. Plus I'm so deadpan. I kind of don't help myself with that. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I'm, I have that, like, Maybe you shouldn't approach this guy. Um, look, unless you uh, get to know me. But um, as a, as an LT, I've kind of figured out. Okay, I know where my where I'm at with some of my uh, like my platoon sergeants and my NCOs and whatnot, and then my fellow platoon leaders that I that I lead with, and then my commander. Um, as you get closer and closer, as I've noticed, to major lieutenant colonel is just like okay. Now I'm just sitting behind a desk forever. Like I have no inter interaction with the actual soldiers. I can't do some of those things they're talking about, like mentoring and actually having an impact that goes beyond, you know, paper, like, Oh, I'm going to write this awesome policy and get a stupid cluster or whatever for that. Like, no, I'm going to actually make sure my guys are taken care of. Like this guy gets a job or this guy, you know, he understands that there is a path that can help him get out of his debt situation. Or this guy understands the big picture because he's only 21 and he wants to get out. So I like having that impact too, but I think, uh, was he a captain? I think that tends to go away. So not to make it seem like, oh, I've done my time of four years. Like I've actually put some time in. I've seen it from a lot of angles, but uh, it just kind of helped me revisit that. So, anyway. yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I'd say business like the military, it's all what you make of it, right? There's companies out there that, um, in small companies, large companies, everything in between, that you go and you're like, the culture here sucks. Like, how could you possibly work here? And they're in the same industry as another company that is just, everyone wants to work there because they're, they're well known for being awesome. Right. Um, my, my civilian employer, um, is one of those companies that has a really good, uh, culture that everyone likes to go into. You actually go into work and you're like, yeah, I, I could see my, myself staying here for a full career if, if my own stuff didn't take off. Um, but there's some places you go to, I, I worked for another firm a while ago that I, I went into and I was like, this is cubicle slash office hell. Like I can't imagine working here. And I could definitely see scratching and clawing my way out as fast as humanly possible if, had I stayed with that other financial firm that I worked for. It right. would just be miserable. Um, but 
I, I like what you said about that. Just working with people and, and your, per- <laughs> your personality is interesting. My, I have a super sarcastic, uh, kind of pain in the ass personality myself, just in a different way. Steve and I have very, very different personality wise. We, I'm on the spectrum apparently. <laughs> um, we tend to feed off each other in a really weird way, but we also get along really well and, and work together well. So it's, it's, it's a weird situation, but not weird, but it's it, not a typical, uh, I don't know. Like you said, if you're listening to us talk to each other the way we do sometimes, you'd be like, those guys hate each other. Like one of them ran over his brother or something. Um, but that's not, that's not the case. It's just, I don't know. You go through like a lot of weird stuff with somebody for six years. Um, friendship's kind of weird. So <laughs> I don't know if that's what you're going for, but yeah, it's, uh, I get what you're saying. Hopefully it translates. Yep. Um, so where do you see yourself going forward from here? Is it, I don't mean career wise necessarily, but where do you want to take ball state? Where do you want to take your, your influence within the dodgeball community? Cause one thing we haven't really, you know, checked on here too much is the fact that you are becoming a much bigger influencer now than just a player. Cause you do, you're present at some of the events and you don't even play anymore. Sometimes is that correct? You, you go just to rep the brand and to supply. Yeah, there's a few that I've done that for. Yeah. And then you also do referee work as well. Yeah, I was a uh, super nerd moment here, but I was asked to re- uh, officiate or become a ref for the uh, the World Dodgeball Federation Championships um, in Mexico and Cancun in a couple months, um, which is cool because like you know I've been refing for a very long time. Um, I've always considered myself a mediocre ref. I lo- I'd love to ref. It's it's a weird thing. It's like if I'm not playing dodgeball, talking about it or selling people about it, um, I don't mind refing because I feel like that's it's still something that a lot of people haven't figured out yet. Cause we all, we all officiate our own games. So like you have some people that are there cause they have to be, you know, some people that actually give a crap and I want to be one of those guys that does. So to be asked by, by that organization says a lot about, um, my value to the sport outside of dodgeball on the podcast or outside of ball stay. So, um, and being relevant in the terms of like an influencer sense, well, I've been playing for like 14 years. So a lot of people I do know, but what's become really awesome is people I don't know never met or coming up to me and saying, Hey man, I love your podcast or dude, your knee pads are the best ever, or you're this. I'm like, I have no idea who you are guy. But this is so cool. Eventually I get to know them. And I, my friends list grows that much bigger on Facebook, but I'm starting to see, as you said, like that growth starting to come from my, my own personal brand or reputation, I guess, for lack of better words, as far as where I see it going though. Um, my, my view is that, Dodgeball is not going to make me a millionaire. What it's doing is it's teaching me things that I would not learn anywhere else. It's like the perfect laboratory to experiment. Like you were saying, you're like, Hey, I tried, um, with, I tried this product that didn't work. I tried selling this product on, on Amazon. That didn't work. I tried doing uh, print on demand. I tried X, Y, Z that worked, this worked, that didn't work, et cetera, et cetera. It's all very forgiving because I have the, the luxury of almost immediate uh, feedback and, um, seeing things through. So, what I would like to do is take the lessons that I've learned through Ball State, polish them up, and actually launch something into a much bigger market. And um, that's where I would see my fortune growing. So for me, Ball State, all I want to do is just help legitimize the sport that much more, hence the podcast, hence the, uh, the Sports Center production I'm going to work on tomorrow. Um, by the time this airs, hopefully it'll already be done and I'll be in you know, episode two. But my goal for Ball State is, is not monetary. It's does Nike pay attention to us now? Is Under Armour wanting to buy us out? Because that—that's when I know I've made it. Like we've, we've produced something that is worthy of you know the conventional sports uh, companies out there. 
but until that happens, then yeah, Ball State will be the answer uh, for our players. I guess how big is the recognition you have received or how far is your reach gone? De- yeah, definitely not uh, Nike Under Armour. Um, the cool thing, and it's ironic that you mentioned this because I'm sitting right next to it right now, is um, we're actually making some uh, international like um, headway, I guess for lack of better words. So last year, we had a huge sale go to uh, a league in Sydney, Australia. Uh, they hit us up and they wanted our our brand e-pads, which was just insane to think about. Um, so that was huge. Um, Canada has become lately a, a pretty good supporter. Um, this box right here is, uh, I think it's only like 12 knee pads that are going to, uh, I can't even pronounce the name, but somewhere far up North, um, just had a kind of collaboration slash, um, like deal with, um, a Canadian league in Winnipeg. I, my can my Canadian, my Canadian geography is terrible. So um, when I say, when I think Canada, I forget that they're actual, like there's states there. So, um, I need a map to show like where I'm at, but, um, let's see. So Canada, Australia is pretty good. A couple sales in the UK, um, Mexico, but the, since we're talking about international stuff, I, I do have kind of like a weird story. If you don't mind, mind me veering off. Go for it. Fire away. So, uh, Argentina. So, um, so I thought this was like another like co-promotion with, with them, um, as you can probably guess, like they're, they're not, um, their economy isn't as well off as some of the other countries. Um, and this deal was kind of made, um, by grace when she was at the last international, uh, tournament last year. But, uh, we ended up offering, um, some knee pads to this Argentinian, Argentinian team for like a really super discount. Just like, Hey, we, we see you guys are trying to play dodgeball. I want to help you out. Um, and I'm not trying to make that sound like oh we're so awesome like it's a it's a like a charity case but You're humanitarian you yeah uh, well if you knew you know me so you know I'm not like that um, more of a ph- uh, philanthropist but uh, <laughs> no it's just crazy because like um, but what that told me was like the the image and the branding that we've conveyed so far shows one of success and one of um, professionalism and so I have a lot of countries and a lot of teams hitting me up for sponsorships already I'm like we're not quite there yet but. I really want to be. So, um, when I, when Argentina was kind of hitting us up for that, I started to realize like we might seriously be onto something like good here. So I don't know if that answered your question or if that was the, cause I didn't want to bash them all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little upset with Argentina right now, but, uh, I'll get to amend that relationship, uh, in November when I go see them. Yeah. So with all these international deals you've done so far and it's not like obviously the biggest part of your business by any stretch but it is really neat first of all that to, to you know you've been on on the ocho <laughs> you've, uh, uh you have had some international deals how do you typically come across those is it are they reaching out to you or are they seeing you at tournaments here in the u.s or how does that work i, I don't know um like i said the, the dodgeball community is so small and tight-knit that word gets around and um for a dodgeball specific company, um, it's just like people have been waiting for something like this for for years. And I mean, I have I was one of those. Like I, I wanted the time to come when I would see dodgeball equipment at Dick Sporting Goods or at Big Five or something, just because it just lends that legitimacy that we all seek because we're known for the Ocho and you know the movie. So I think word word of mouth has been my biggest um, my biggest advocate right now. I think this Canadian sale came from that uh that campaign that i showed you where like the kid was wearing the espn shirt sent out a 
super professional, just awesome looking photo of him. And that kid has been played in Canada for, for years now. So he's, he's well known, like he's a legit influencer. Um, if this was a regular industry, I would have paid him thousands of dollars to, to make that happen. So, um, I don't think we're, I don't think we're Google worthy because I don't know who Google's like dodgeball, <laughs> like who Google's dodgeball gear, right? Um, if you did, I think we'd come up, but that's just not something that we're used to doing. We being a dodgeball players, like we just, we've accepted the fact that we're not popular. We've accepted the fact that we're obscure. And a lot of the stuff that we learn about is uh, by our own creation or just by word of mouth. So yeah, word of mouth probably. And I think I asked you this before, what makes your knee pads, for example, or your compression wear different than what's already out there? What I know, obviously, you market it specifically towards dodgeball, but I think you told me you made some modifications to make sure it was tough enough to handle. You know, a thirty-five-year-old sliding across a basketball so, court. So right? I thought. Um, <laughs> so the the, the V ones, as I call them, they're they're our flagship uh, model right now. Uh, those are modeled after the ASIC sliders. Um, the ones, I, so I to to kind of give you an idea of like dodgeball equipment um people weren't wearing knee pads as a thing for like until like maybe 10 years ago like there, there was a time when people weren't playing because they weren't as intense um when i there's this one time i was playing in this tournament I, I took to the ground i hit my knee really hard on the uh the floor and that that was like a sickening feeling of pain i was like never again will i not wear knee pads i don't care how intense i look i don't care how stupid i look um I know a girl of mine, uh, a friend of mine that works, she she played Division One volleyball. She knows exactly what kind of knee pads to use. And she gave me her pair from like, it was probably kind of gross to think about now. But like, <laughs> knee sweat. Yeah, it was actually, it was actually really cool how it happened because we were in the middle of like open gym and she was, she's still pretty attractive to the, to, to, day, to this day. But just imagine like a bunch of nerds playing dodgeball and in walks this like gorgeous, like six foot Barbie doll. And she's, she goes straight to me and she hands me knee pads. And then everyone's like, oh my God, Steve. And like, not that I'm like super popular with the, with the women now, but like back in my day, I think you saw that picture surfacing. Like I was definitely an interesting looking person. So for, for that to, to get that attention for just that one second was really cool. But um, they were Nike. And as I started using them, I was like, okay, these are, these are good, but they slide a little bit. I'm going to try like a straight up um, volleyball brand. So I switched to Asics and I had this specific brand for like, years um so i and i knew that that helped with a lot of like the lateral movements um i don't slide as much as some of these kids do nowadays um so i, I base the v1s off of those um it's gonna sound super technical but there's like a little hole in the back of the the asics that would pinch like the skin behind my knee so that just never felt good so i wanted that gone and i just wanted something real basic like just really close to what the slider is just minus that um, and that's, that's worked really well. But, um, as I said earlier, uh, there's a second one, the, the V2, which it kind of combines the slider, but it also combines a wrestling, uh, knee pad, which I guess is built for that. Uh, God, you sound like a huge nerd now. It's built for the sliding on a mat. So like if you can imagine all the friction that's caused from, you know, wrestling and, and all the weight and pivoting off your knees, um, the I couldn't even break down what, what it's made out of, but the threading is like, it's like quadruple reinforced, but allows you to slide. So took those two items. And then also a lot of people asked me to have like the, like the casing or like the, um, the sleeve that actually holds any, they wanted it extended by like two inches up the thigh and, and towards the shin. And that is like, that has been a pretty common request from people that are actually buying my stuff, field testing it, so to speak, and saying, 
could you make it do this? So I'm really curious how this is going to turn out because that is like the first legit from the ground up knee pad design for dodgeball players because um, it covers the impact, it covers the sliding, and it covers whether or not it stays on your on your leg because you're doing all kinds of weird movements uh, throughout the game. So, Well, I saw part of your highlight reel you were showing me earlier from some coverage you had, and one of the guys was not a small dude, and he was dropping down to his knees and – he like almost at the exact same time caught a ball, threw a ball, got someone out to win that that round. Close out that um, match, yeah. Yeah, whatever, whatever you whatever you kids say nowadays. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but he was not a small guy, and he dropped to his knees super quick, like full force. And I'm I'm 36, and I, I feel like I would probably throw up if I did that right now, just full force on a basketball court. It's a leap of faith to do uh, that. <laughs> um, but that is really cool though, and you, you said nerding out on it. Um, that's a cool part, hopefully, about this podcast is that people will notice. And I'm not into dodgeball at all. It's not my my thing, right? But just hearing your passion about it and the fact that you took people's feedback and actually, like you said, created it from the ground up, that's a huge part of business is capturing that part and, and listening to your customers and creating something that wasn't out there before. Yeah, it might not be – you didn't invent the knee pad, but you tailored it to your industry yep. to a relatively small niche and said, hey, here, there is someone who gives a crap about you. Not only am I trying to promote the sport in general, not only am I trying to to create good products for you, but I'm listening to you specifically to make sure you're getting what you want. And then, you know, my next thing is going to be taking that money I make from that and dumping it right back in and seeing what else I can do. and Making the V3s. Yeah, exactly. Whether it's a V3 or something different altogether, because you've added, so what all do you have now? I know you have the shirts, you know, your, your sweat wicking shirts, the, the knee pads, compression so the my next big foray is um, going to be compression wear, um, just like the Under Armour, um, for people that are in the gym constantly. Like I, I one thing I've always um, this kind of goes back to the why. Like I hate promoting other people's stuff. So like I love Under Armour. Like if I had to choose a brand, that would be mine. But man, it's nice to wear my own stuff and know like this is my brand. Like yeah, it doesn't matter if Joe off the street sees this and goes to Ball State and buys it. But it's just like a like a physical manifestation of my dreams kind of thing. Like being on my body. So. Uh, for me, compression is going to be like the next big thing. But I'm also speaking of taking feedback. So you saw that guy drop to his knees really quickly, right? Well, the the women kind of do something similar where they, they'll do that. Some will actually slide; just they'll drop on their butt and they'll like you know wrist or tailbone being broken uh, for these catches. They'll do like a sliding catch or they'll slide left or right. So a lot of lateral movements. Um, and one of the things that the dodgeball community has is a like a dodgeball women group that it's it's obviously exclusive to women but a lot of the things that they've asked for is some kind of like cross between um yoga like durable yoga pants active wear leggings that have some kind of like padding on the hips and the tailbone so that's like my next big monster to slay so if i can figure that out that would be a legitimate like okay you got your knee pads and now you have like a compression set that actually has padding for the impact that some of your joints receive so those are the two biggest things on my radar. I do want to get into more t-shirt sales. Um, some people have submitted some pretty awesome designs. Um, so a lot of stuff that I want is what I'm just hearing back from the community. So like you're saying, like people come up to you like, hey, you should try doing these things. It's like, you should probably listen to them. Like, they, and, and not every idea is going to be spot on, right? Sometimes it's not going to make I've, sense I've had to some do weird something. Ones. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you know what? If I had like a skunk works program and I had millions of dollars, yeah, I would do your thing. Cause that's something to benefit you. But yeah, like not not every idea is unfortunately like I can't jump on it right away. But if there's a 
if there's some, not credibility, but if there's some logic behind it and a lot of people are asking for it, then that's probably a good idea of like the general consensus of everybody else. So, And again, those compression shorts with padding in them, they sell stuff like that for football and I think softball as well. Yep. But again, you're making it for your sport specifically, which there was no one there doing that before. So you are even more so cementing yourself as a leader in that industry, which is really cool. Hopefully. Plus, uh, it's also bulkiness. Like, you know, it doesn't matter if, like, the football hits me on the hip. Like, if I, if I didn't catch it, then I suck. But, like, in dodgeball, you don't want to be this bulky, square-looking, you know, creature. You want to be as small as possible. So the the trick is to take that and just make it so that it's not going to be a hindrance to the fact that you actually can't get hit by a straight ball because even if you get nicked in the shorts, you're out. So you got to be really careful. That's so that, funny. It's something I never would have even remotely thought about. Yeah. I'm like, oh. We talked about getting hit in the face with a, you know, a, a fastball. Essentially, um, it, that would hurt just as much in the kidney, if you will. But right, different different situations. The worst place to get hit. Like that is, <laughs> that's excruciating. Again, something I didn't really think about until right now. Yep. But um, but I didn't think about having to keep that low profile, if you will. Yeah. Because uh, we're used to like on the military side, we and that's one thing that personally used to freak me out is having stuff hanging off me. Oh, I hate that. I, I absolutely hate it. It was like a not quite a phobia, but something that really bothered me my entire life. One thing the army did break for me was that now I'm so used to having crap hanging off me and, and being the, in some cases, you know, uh, you have a third of your weight or even almost double your weight, like in the, the case of a bomb suit. Um, and that's stuff that you can't really function all that well in, but from the mental aspect, it's like, okay, deal with it. Cause that's where you're at right now. Move on. Yeah. But this is life now. I did not think about it at all in respect to dodgeball, though. It's not something I would be like, oh, it got my shorts. Like, is that really a rule? Seriously? Yeah. It's, so, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty yeah, cool. If we can get into it, but if you get hit, you get hit. Doesn't matter if you're wearing shorts or, you know, spandex, like some people will do. But um, in the in the female sense, you know, they they, they want something that's not going to look just ridiculous, but also be functional, but also not hinder how they play. So it's a, like you were saying earlier about the challenges. Um, that's definitely something I'm happy to take on because no one else wants to. So nice. Your move, Nike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I go challenging Nike and nah, Asics. Let's and do it. Just yet, but you know what? Screw it. <laughs> Why not? Go. Yep. So I'm going to jump in to a little bit different segment now, which is what I call the fast five, uh, a little bit more focused on the automotive side which we've talked about. Steve's not a huge car guy. I think to this part, but I'll try. <laughs> He's not a huge car guy, but he did point out that he still does like cars. He's just not dumb like me and, and spends way too much money on him. Um, so in this segment, I'm just going to ask him five questions, relatively rapid fire, and uh, see what his responses are. for the. So the first one was, what was your first car or favorite car? My first car was a 98 Ford Ranger. Um, got it in 2001. So I was pretty lucky to have parents that uh, bought me a fairly new used car off the get go, um, I mean it's not a it's not a truck truck like yours is, but I, I really liked it. That thing was fun. I could just throw whatever I wanted back there, throw my friends in the back, and have a good old merry old time driving around. But um, yeah, that was my first car. It's funny you mention that because my first truck was a 2000 Ranger that I got in 2001. Nice. The only reason I could afford it is because it was total before I bought it, and I had that thing forever. And I told it two more times after that. So they're great trucks. Uh, I, I, it holds a soft spot. <laughs> I was a brat, and I just had to pay for the insurance and gas, and the rest was, was on my parents, so <laughs> I was lucky. All right, and what is your, I guess, somewhat realistic dream car? Like, if, if Ball Stay sells out, 
and you do have uh, some more funds to work with. I know right now we we talked about it before. Yeah. You drive a Ford Fusion, not the sexiest car. I, but, I love that girl, uh, Cora. She's a 20, 2012 Ford Fusion SE. Um, the crazy thing is, like, I remember seeing an advertisement for the 2012 Ford Fusions uh, when I was in Bagram in 2011. Because, like, they would give us, like, catalogs. Well, they wouldn't give us. Like, they're not issuing them. But um, I was I think I was waiting to get my haircut. I was at a subway or something. Um, just to show how tough my deployment was uh, at Bagram. And I was looking through these catalogs, and they had, like, an advertisement, like, hey, buy your car here so it's tax-free, and it'll be waiting for you when you get home. I was like, man, 2012 Fusion, that's so cool. This is, like, the cusp of 2012. I was like, man, I'll probably, probably be some time before I can afford a car like that. But it's so cool looking. And then somehow a couple of years later, I end up I end up with one. So that that kind of worked out. But uh, so I really love my car. I just need to take better care of her because she needs some detailing. But um, I think she'll be paid off in like two, three months. And I'm going to probably have her for like another four or five years um, as long as I can. And if I remember correctly, you told me that was part of your, your business uh, plan as well was to keep it for a while and not get another car payment so you could focus that money towards growing the business as well. Yep. So that, that makes a ton of sense. But so you said something about like if I were to sell Ball Stay um, and buy a car, if I sold Ball Stay, a lot of that money is going to go right back into the community uh, to to continue to work on that mission of legitimizing the sport. And that that's one thing that if, if people know me that are listening that are vested in any way with Ball Stay or my my plans, um, all the money that I do make goes right back into the company. So it's not like I'm rolling up with like a Mercedes or anything like that uh, based off your money. Just want to get that out of the way, but. Um, yeah, it's the, the car I would want. It was a would be a Tesla. Like that's the one where I'm like, one day you'll be mine. Very nice. If you do, my wife Jessica will be very jealous. So it's more of a status thing. <laughs> it's like I could just take all this money and put it into our charity that saves the environment, or I can drive this really sweet car. Fair enough. Uh, and then what's one thing you splurge on? I not necessarily a guilty pleasure, but something you spend money on that you're like, ah, maybe I could be putting this towards a business better. But yeah, I'm not getting it up. Um I'll tell you what. So you made the comment about how like how you don't like to eat out because you like to save money. Probably should do that less. Um, in fact, I, I've been I've been pretty good at that. So for the longest time, Postmates was just like you might as I might as well just be being, getting paid in Postmates credit. Uh, once I started calculating how much I was spending on on take it, I was like, my God, this money could have gone into like a whole other product line or something, or it could have gone into like a podcast episode. So most of my expendable income is going towards the company now, which is smart um otherwise i'm either you know drinking peeing or crapping it away so it's definitely <laughs> uh, it's definitely food um that's where most of my money that i could just chill on is going i have spent like maybe five or six dollars a week on clash of clans but i mean they put together such a great product they can have my money it's fine so yeah just uh just food man um just track what you eat for like a week you're like man that's, that's 80 bucks that could have gone to like i said you know, a whole nother product line right there. So thankfully I've kind of toned that down a lot. <clears throat> All right. And then what's one piece of advice or wisdom that you'd pass down to someone who's just kind of breaking into starting their own first business? All right. Uh, so two part is literally, if you have an idea, freaking do it. Um, nothing is going to be perfect the first time and you're going to stumble your way forward. But if you're moving forward, you're moving forward. If that makes any sense. So like, Take this podcast, for example. Um, you've come a long way. Like you went from asking me questions about podcasting to here's your first episode. 
you're going to listen to this 80 episodes down the road and be like, my God, that was awful. But you're going to be listening to this 80 episodes down the road. So my first episode when I was by myself literally opens up with me saying the dodgeball. And I look like I, ha- I sound like I just had a stroke because I'm just like, oh, crap, this is going to be hard. But that's the tone I wanted to set where it's like, I'm, it's going to be okay. This isn't perfect. But two seasons in after that fact, it's still going. It's It's picked up a lot of traction. And so you just, you learn as you go. Um, a lot of people, especially now, like there's the the barrier to entry into anything um, is so low. It's it's almost like this is the perfect time to take on something, especially if you have like a nine to five job that pays the bills and you have a little bit of extra money here or there to, to try your new clothing line, try your new website, try to take on a class or something like it. The biggest thing I've, I've realized is um, people have ideas, they just don't execute. And all, all it takes is that one person to like your thing or share your, your, your content piece. Once you start seeing that, that motivation that we talked about earlier starts to like compound. Like right now, um, people are really taking to this really cool, um, campaign. And that just gave me like the energy and the discipline to do this for like another month. Like I was, I had my moments, like you said, you have like the ebb of flow of like desire, but once you see stuff like that taking off, then it's just easy to keep, keep going and going. So the first part would be, um, buckle up and or suck it up rather and do I'm trying not to cuss but <laughs> just just do something the other part would be to tell people um I don't know if, from what I've experienced people come up to me with an idea and they're like well I don't know if I should tell anybody about this idea because I'm afraid it's going to be stolen like no one is going to steal your stupid idea like there's so much stuff out there now like um unless you're writing some kind of crazy movie script like I think the more you talk about what you're doing the more you'll the more likely you'll be to run into somebody that can actually help you or have some kind of role in pushing that further down, down the road. Um, another thing is like, if you tell somebody you're going to do something, it, it creates like this sense of accountability all of a sudden, because it's like, Oh, Hey, remember when so-and-so said that they were going to hire a personal trainer and they didn't Well, they suck. But then if they keep doing it, then it's kind of like one of those things like, Oh, wow, that person said they actually, or that person is actually doing what they said they're going to do. So I guess it's like, I, I kind of want to dig into this just a little bit more um, just because I'm it. at that cusp of like, this is me hacking through um, my own, my own advice. Um, one of the reasons why ball say was so successful was because uh, one of my partners, um, her name is Grace. She does Amazon FBA for a living. Like she has all kinds of, she has her hands in everything. She's got multiple streams of income coming in from everywhere. She sets her own hours. She's like, that's the lifestyle I want. So when me and Ball, me and Joe made Ball Stay happen, starting to get like these orders where it's like, man, that's a lot of orders I'm processing on a weekly basis. But I know that Grace is pretty good and well-versed in Amazon. So I'm going to ask her some questions and see if she can give me some like free chicken or just give me some advice on like how to, how to make sure that I'm not going to, you know, overextend myself. Unbeknownst to me, she was already ready to come at me with a partnership opportunity. So what has helped me get this uh, to where it's at now? has been a lot of her involvement, especially on the financial side, because she said, no, we're going to do X, Y, Z. This is the cost. And, um, you know, I believe in what you're doing. So let's form a partnership. And then next thing I know, like policy has taken off, like where I'm at now, I thought it would take me about three years to get here with her help. It, it, I was there in six months. So I'm not saying like, just tell the world your idea, but at the same time, I kind of am because you never know who's listening. You never know who's, who's got access or resources. Um, it's just, yeah, it's it's silly to to take your idea and hide it and be afraid that someone's going to steal it because most of the time no one cares. But as they see you start to get momentum and move forward, they'll start to care a little bit more and you'll start to realize that 
you have a lot of assets in within your network that you can you can use. Um, this being a perfect example, I mean, how far you've come already. So, yeah, and the other cool part about that too is, well, I guess two different things is take those responses with a grain of salt because I actually had this idea for probably the past year, maybe a little bit longer than that, and one of the first piece uh, people I told about it was just completely the wrong person to talk to about anything that you need support from. It was, I won't get into who it was exactly, but it was a boss of mine. And the response was, Oh, well, you're just another white guy that wants to talk about business. What's the point? And I was like, okay, well you're the white guy in charge of me. So I guess you're probably <laughs> right. I don't know. So I, I just kind of shelved the idea all together. And luckily through talking with Steve and, and actually being on his podcast, um, I was like, you know what? This is actually really fun. And even if I bomb, I have a few hundred dollars into this and I can say I did it and actually get some traction. Cause when we did the lost LT, um, we had people that were super supportive. So friends that didn't know anything about the military. And actually my dentist and her son listened to it cause they were, uh, he's thinking about going in the military Oh man! and I went in for cleaning and I don't, I don't know why it came up. Um, but I think we had just recorded like a day or two before or something like that. And it, she was asking what was going on in life. And I had mentioned it. Well, the next time I went in, you know, six months later, it's like, Oh, Hey, my son and I listened to that the podcast, it was kind of funny because uh, we talked about it. I about a lot of stuff that I don't know if you want your, your son to listen to. Right. He's like 17, I think. Okay. And I yeah, was like, well, talks worse than that already. Uh, yeah, right. Um, and I said, well, you know, funny you mentioned that because it took us, we had a pretty big break between the first and second episode. Um, Quite a few months. And yeah. And I said, well, we actually just put out another one. If you want to listen to that, she's like, oh, I will. And I didn't see her this last time I went into the dentist, but um, I had to, get a crown put in so I was in there a little more frequently than normal but um I didn't get to see her I wanted to ask her next time like hey and and we do need to do another episode just because there's more pressing topics we need to hit but yeah uh, nudge right <laughs> um but yeah so take that criticism or feedback with a grain of salt um not only for the negative stuff but for the positive stuff too because you might get depending on who you're talking to if it's your mom you're talking to like yeah it's gonna be awesome do it dump your heart into it follow your dreams that's really cool. Maybe and you, be careful. With you need that. Yeah. yeah. You need that support, but maybe talk to some people that are in that industry. And like you said, a lot of people are afraid of their ideas getting stolen. And depending on what it, what it is, that is very possible that that could happen. Just use your better judgment to make sure that you're not giving away the, you know, the secret recipe. Um, but a lot of people are really supportive and I know there's different industries and different uh, time periods where stuff is more cutthroat than others. Um, so feel it out. Right. But don't tell your biggest competitor, Hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. You might screw yourself on that, but, um, you know, tell some people to have some, some years in, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think I should do? Cause even today I was talking to my uncle-in-law, we we're working on some air conditioning at a project we're working on. And, uh, he told me about a meetup that they do for real estate. And I had no idea he was into that kind of stuff. He, he mainly uses it as a networking for his business, air conditioning. Um, but, I was like, that actually sounds pretty cool. It was a, a networking and beers thing that they do once a month. I was like, that actually nice. sounds pretty cool. I might check that out. So you might be amazed what you stumble on. So and again, not to hijack your question, but um, well, cool. I do want to add one thing. So when I say tell people because no one cares, it's it's just give yourself kind of like we said with the, the grain of salt, like just go in with the expectation that no one cares about my idea, but I'll talk about it because that way you spare yourself from the big letdown of, oh, so-and-so didn't get excited about my idea. I'm going to shut down now like with your boss like the guy that said oh you're just another white dude talking about cars or whatever or business or whatever it was 
had you gone with that mentality of like, I'm going to do this. I don't care what people say. Maybe it wouldn't have um, held you back, but that's what I mean. Cause eventually people will care. Like you said, they will be supportive. It'll, it'll shock you how supportive people can be once you actually start having some kind of like product or some kind of momentum going for you. So yeah, that's what I meant by no one cares about your idea because it, it, it does no, change. Over I time. get what you're saying. No one cares enough to, to sabotage you. To, exactly. Most people don't at least. Right. And Unless you created some kind of like new album, like alloy or some kind of like super crazy thing. But yeah, right. most of the time you'll be fine. And, and even with the, uh, like I said, Steve had a lot of, a lot of encouragement and some other people did uh, on the podcast specifically. And I, I finally, I'd started an Instagram page just to, you know, put some car related stuff on. And I had always had my personal one, which was terrible terrible hashtags. I always did it as a joke, like these crazy, like sentence long hashtags and whatever. I do that all the time. Um, <laughs> and just random pictures of me and my kid or some making some stupid face or just some stupid quote or whatever. Uh, and then once I actually started putting some effort towards it, um, starting from scratch, I do not have a large Instagram following. Follow me on auto ADHD, by the way. Good plug. Um, <laughs> um, it was kind of neat because I started it a little over, like just over a month ago. And I don't have a whole lot of followers. Those are most of those are not people that I know. They're just randoms that have actually liked the pictures that I had have been posting up there. Um, but it's actually pretty neat watching that grow from scratch. On the flip side of that, um, Facebook, on the other hand, I created a page like three or four days ago, and I have like seventy five likes for this podcast specifically, and I haven't published anything for it yet. That's so cool. that was actually pretty cool because people that know me, people that know some of the people I'm going to be interviewing. So actually it was pretty neat because I sat down to write a list of, of who I wanted to have on the podcast. And I came up with like 10, 12, 15 people just thinking about it, like on and off for an hour. And then I talked to a couple of those people said, Hey, would you be interested in coming on? And like, yeah, you probably want to talk to so-and-so and so-and-so. And one of the, the guys, like I said, obviously Steve has a podcast. Um, another person that was uh, recommended to me was actually my realtor's friend. Um, he has a really successful podcast. I won't throw it out there yet because I don't know if he'll ever want to actually be on the show or not, but um, it'd be pretty neat to to hook up with him and, and do something. And then uh, one of my best friend's going to be on it and one of his buddies uh, has a successful car business and he's like, yeah, we're, we're going to be at SEMA. Why don't you interview him then? So it just depends on on that right timing and, and having that supportive network. So, But look how fast that's opening up already because you're talking to people so if you got this one friend of a friend who's got that successful podcast show, you have something polished, you're going to watch your stuff just grow overnight. It's going to be pretty crazy. So, but that all comes from actually doing, like I said, not to sound like you're your dad, but like do it and then tell people like that opens up doors. So it'd be, it'd be good to see where this is five, five weeks from now, five months from now. And then of course, going back to this episode, be like, my God, what were we talking about back then? Oh, I'm sure I'll be you know, super mortified, yeah. <laughs> mortified looking back at this now, but, um, all right. So kind of leading directly into that, the last question, uh, is, you know, what's your, your biggest regret or missed opportunity that you have so far? This is one question that actually a lot of people wanted me to ask when I was bouncing questions off people. It's kind of a morbid curiosity thing more than anything, but yeah, this is weird. Cause like, I don't be like, well, I have no regrets. Um, but I, I don't, cause I saw it when I, when I printed this out for you, I was like, oh, he's going to ask me that question. That's evil. Um, what, the way I looked at regrets, um, in the past couple of years, like, Hey, what's done is done. It, it doesn't do me any, any good to be like, Oh man, I wish I joined the military at 18. Well, I didn't. And if I did, I might've died or, you know, it's just, I'm more mad now. And that's, that's all that matters. So I think my biggest regret, um, was just not coming to this realization that there's a lot of things that are within your grasps, grasp sooner, if that makes sense. So like, um, it, it's, it's easy for me to say, Hey, just 
you know, shut up and do your idea, give it a shot. But um, before Ball of State two years ago, there was a ton of ideas that might've had potential for all I know. If I had just dug deep or dug in and, and bludgeoned my way through, uh, granted the things that weren't available um, at the time that are now, like some of these platforms to make it easier, but um, you know, who knows? Like maybe if I had figured out drop shipping in the past earlier, I figured out Shopify, I could have capitalized on the mil- millions of dollars that people made uh, doing that before it got so saturated. Um, same thing with podcasting. How cool would it have been to be doing this 10 years ago? So I think my biggest regret just, ch- just comes up to the fact that it took me until 36, 35, 34 year time frame to just realize it's better to just give it a shot and see what happens versus being um, a victim of paralysis by analysis. I had to get that in there. All right. Excellent. Well, I really appreciate all the insight you put into it. Um, I really appreciate you being the first guy on the episode. Uh, it's uh, it's an even. honor. <laughs> um, just kidding, but I, I really do appreciate it. And uh, thanks for all your uh, help out up until here. And uh, what you guys can't see since this is all audio is we actually do have a pretty neat uh, lighting setup that we were experimenting with tonight just to see because uh, Steve's going to be using it for his project that he's working on here pretty soon within the next couple of days. Tomorrow night. Tomorrow, okay. Yeah, so we, we checked that out and, and set it up just to get a little bit of practice there. Um, but I do plan on actually having some, probably some video recorded episodes as well. Some visuals. Yeah, so, um, but I really do appreciate you being the first one on, uh, taking the time to to power through this with me. I, again, it was probably pretty choppy and nasty, but I do appreciate it. And uh, that's it for this episode. And I hope you all stick around for the next ones. Have a good night.